0: Um, my name is Preston. I'm the youth pastor here at Forest Park. Really grateful uh, that you're able to join us today, be with us today um i know that for a lot of us who were here last night for a night of worship you know it's been a busy weekend um, me and my wife and some of her team have been out here till about 11 every night to kind of do the new stage design and then night of worship last night and so on top of that then today we're just thankful that you're here we said it last night what i say today man you you could have chosen anywhere to be today but you've chosen to be here and i'm grateful for that um again i'm filling in for pastor scott if pastor scott was here he'd be preaching but he's not so obviously you're stuck with me for better or worse today. Um, but we're going to continue our People Problems series. We've been in this series in November. And in the first two weeks of the series so far, Pastor Scott's kind of laid before us some things to consider. And the first week he talked about, you know, we need to really, if we're going to look at the heart of people problems, we need to look in the mirror sometimes and, and understand the, the role we play and maybe some of the tension that has existed in our lives. And then last week he talked about how in good, grace-filled, loving relationships, uh, we should always have room to be able to disagree, to be able to have different opinions but yet still love one another in spite of maybe the things we don't necessarily see the same way in some instances. And so then today I'm going to get into uh, really just boiling it down to conflict resolution. So, so how do we then actually practically put this on the ground and actually work through the conflict in our relationships that we have with each other or with ourselves and how do we practically make a difference so that we can find healing in fractured and broken relationships Before I jump in, though, I do want to encourage you, if you have the Bible app on your phone, to get it out. Go to the events tab and then find Forest Park Church. If you do that, all my notes for the message today will be right there on your phone. I say that because some of the slides I'll I'll click through somewhat quickly. Quickly, And you may not have time to actually write them down if you're a real note taker like my wife is. Uh, But without that, um, I'm going to get right in. Uh, So when we talk about conflict resolution as people, one of the things I think we have to understand is from the time we were born till now, we have been taught how to handle conflict, whether we know it or not. Right, Every one of us who was raised in some ways were taught how to handle conflict by those who raised us, for better or for worse. And maybe some of you had a dad who was like my dad who said, you know, I'm not telling you to be violent, but if someone hits you, then you should hit them back. (laughs) Don't defend yourself. Don't let them keep punching you. If they hit you, the, the result of that conflict is you hit them back. And some of us maybe had mothers who said, you know what, honey, if someone's bullying you at school and hurting your feelings, if you just ignore them, And don't give them any attention. They'll just leave you alone and it'll go away. And so we just kind of ignored it and hoped that the bully would leave us alone. The problems would leave us alone. And as a five-year-old, a six-year-old, that might be all well and good because they're very simplistic ways to handle conflict. But as we get older, as we become 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, some of you uh, 70-year-olds, we don't give those things away. Now we're 50 year olds who still handle conflict by fighting back. We still handle conflict by pretending it's not there. And what I want to show us today is that ultimately God has a plan and a pattern and a structure for how he has called us to handle conflict in our life with each other, with the people who have hurt us, for those relationships that are tense right now in our lives. And pastors use a lot of uh, weird words to kind of describe relationships. And I'll use the same words right now, but I'll give you a diagram to give you a better picture. At the end of the day, no matter who's in your life, who's not in your life, your life boils down to two basic relationships. That's it. Just two basic relationships. You have a vertical relationship, which is with God. Your relationship with God is one relationship. They call it vertical because God's up in the sky and we have a vertical relationship, but reality is God's everywhere. So I don't know why they use that word, but vertical relationship, you have a relationship with God, your faith, and you have a horizontal relationship. You have a relationship with the people in your life, the people around you, the people in your community. So basically at the end of the day, you have two basic relationships, a faith relationship with God, hopefully, and a relationship with the people in your life what I've seen is that a lot of us have bought into the lie or the myth that if my relationship with God is good, if I've given my life to Jesus, then I won't have any problems with relationships in my life, horizontally speaking. If I can get the vertical one right and I can say the sinner's prayer and give my life to Jesus, everything else will work out and I won't have to worry about relational issues, tension, anything of that sort. But I think that is just what it is, a lie and a myth, because we could do practical surveys in this room today. Like, just raise your hand if within the last 12 to 18 months you would say, I've had a falling out with someone in my life, and I'm raising my hand too, okay? So just there in the room, this little bit of survey, real quick, is just showing that those of us who hopefully profess to be Christians also would also say in the same sentence, but I also have issues in my relationships, I've had a lot of broken relationships, a lot of strife, a lot of tension, a lot of fractures that maybe I'm not so proud of. So, again, if we are believing that this is the two basic relationships and we don't believe the lie that just because I'm a Christian, I won't have issues in this world, then we need to really understand what it means to try to pursue healing of those broken relationships. And I know how people think because I am people, but the the reality is we think, okay, well, Preston, I don't really need to fix these relationships. I've moved on. That issue I had with somebody happened years ago. I need, I've moved on. Hopefully they've moved on. I don't need to fix or try to mend that relationship. You know, I, I don't need to worry about it. I don't have time to worry about it. It is what it is. I'm just going to live my life, and hopefully they move on and live their life too, and we just will not get along. That thing that broke us apart 10 years ago is just going to be the way it is. But what I want to show you from Scripture is that actually if you proclaim to be a Christian, you have a call on your life to pursue healing, to pursue restoring broken, fractured relationships in your life, regardless if you want to or not. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Jesus, the love of Jesus controls us because we have concluded this, that because Jesus died for all of us, therefore all of us have died. He died for the sake of those who are alive, That way that we should not live for ourselves. Because Jesus died for us as Christians, we are not to live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us. He goes on to say, so then from this point, we won't recognize people by human standards. Even though we used to know Jesus as a human, that isn't how we know him now. So then if we are in Christ, we are a new creation The old things have gone and the new things have come. Meaning now that we're in Christ, now that we're a Christian, we don't look at the world through worldly lenses, worldly glasses. We look at our life through spiritual lenses, through spiritual glasses that says, I don't see just my relationships as a human-to-human relationship, but a soul-to-soul relationship. That we are more than just humans. We are spiritual beings. He goes on to say, therefore, because of all of those things, All of these new things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And because he saved us, he is giving us a ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Jesus by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. Because God has rescued you and healed you and restored you, you have a ministry and a calling and a responsibility on your life as a Christian to do the same with those in your life. You have a ministry of reconciliation to be able to reconcile, restore, heal, and pursue that healing in all relationships in your life, good or bad. We are called to pursue healing, to bandaging up the areas of our life that are broken, and that includes the broken relationships we may have. And that's why Jesus would put it more plainly in John 13, 35. He said, therefore, people will know that you're a Christian based on how you love each other. They'll know if you belong to me based on how you love each other. I always love this verse so much so because it's so plain, but what I really love about it is what's not in it. Jesus doesn't say people will know you're a Christian based on what your Facebook statuses say, based on how you vote, based on your church attendance, based on how much you have your life together. Jesus simply says, if you want to know if you belong to me, it's based on how you love people in your life. And loving people sometimes means what we're going to talk about today, doing the hard work and trying to pursue fixing and healing fractured relationships in our lives. So again, our culture doesn't want this to be the case. Our culture preaches to us constantly that ultimately if someone hurts you, someone wrongs you, someone does something against you, you should just wipe them out of your life completely. They're no good for you. If they've hurt you, you don't have time for people like that. Just push them out of your circle and move on with your life. And it's in the culture that tells us to drop people out of our life quickly anytime there's conflict that has led us to be so disappointed to have a life that's frustrated as quickly as we are, to be so animosity towards each other that we're so willing to quickly attack one another who disagrees with us, quick to wound one another, quick to be frustrated, quick to be disappointed, so much so that because we are so quick to be all these things, we push people out of our life very quickly as well. And God puts a healthy pressure on his people to say, you will not operate that way. You're not just going to kick people out of the nest because they didn't agree with you on one thing. You are called to pursue healing where there is brokenness. And that's included in your relationships. And so the question I want to look at today is a very simple question. What am I to do then, Preston, if someone has hurt me? You're telling me that it's my responsibility to pursue trying to heal broken things in my life, including the broken relationships or friendships I have with people. What am I to do? How am I to do that? Thank you. That's the whole basis of my sermon. Thank you for asking the whole, the whole thing I'm doing. I'm going to show you three ways you can approach conflict in your life. Obviously, the first two are the wrong answer, and then the third one is the right answer, and we'll talk more about it. But this is a basic way that you can do it. And I want to tell you this. The more we kick people out of our life when things get tough, the more you'll look at your life in the future, and you'll be surrounded with no real friends no real deep relationships because you've made all your relationships so shallow and surface level that any time there's conflict, you run away. So instead, we have three options. And the option one is we can deny there's conflict in our life. Now, I don't want to pretend I'm something or not. I'm raising my hand. This is my go-to strategy with conflict in my own life. I am an expert in denying that there's conflict between me and other people. I'm an expert in doing this terrible tactic and strategy of dealing with conflict in my life. If you're one of the people who just likes to pretend that there's not conflict there to keep the peace, to deny you were hurt, you'll make statements like this. It's all good. Nah, nah, I wasn't even upset. Oh, I didn't even notice that Facebook post you made about me subliminally yesterday at five oh two PM. <laughs> it's no big deal. We all have bad days, no worries. These are phrases in my vocabulary that unfortunately have been so used to saying, I say them over and over again, even when I don't mean them. The problem is when you deny that someone has hurt you, whether you like it or not, what you're inadvertently doing is giving them permission to continue that same pattern of hurt. You are telling them it's no big deal, and guess what? Eventually they're going to believe it's no big deal. and They're going to continue to talk to you that way, respond to you that way, treat you that way, the more you deny that what they're doing is actually hurting you. And when we do this, when we deny there's conflict in our life, people continue to act the same way and do the same things that hurt us over and over again. And as those patterns continue to go about and we continuously get hurt day after day, season after season, by the same things that people are doing, you begin to grow bitter. You begin to become passive-aggressive. Uh, maybe you've heard statements like this in your workplace or in your family gatherings. They'll start to say passive aggressive statements. Let's not pretend some of us aren't passive aggressive. They'll come to you and say, Hey, look, uh, your, your work, man, Preston, is surprisingly good this week. And I'm naive enough to believe that they're actually complimenting me and they're trying to <laughs> insult me when they say, Your work's surprisingly good. Or they say, You know what? Actually, that outfit you're wearing today looks a lot better than what you wore yesterday. Or how about, man? It's so cool that you're so carefree. I wish I didn't care about things like you. And we begin to make these snide, sarcastic comments to them, trying to hint subliminally, hey, I have an issue with you. I have an issue with you. I have an issue with you. And we do it passive-aggressively because we don't have the guts to stand up and say, I have an issue with what you're doing. (laughs) So we deny, and the more we deny, the more we become bitter. And the more we become bitter, the more we become passive-aggressive. Denying is not the way to true biblical conflict resolution. It leads us to being passive aggressive, bitter, making vague Facebook posts, making snide, sarcastic comments. And I'm telling you, when bitterness takes hold of your heart, when bitterness takes root in your soul, it is only a matter of a time before that relationship breaks. And if you allow the denying strategy to be your go to strategy anytime there's conflict in a relationship with your life, you will become passive-aggressive. You will become bitter. And as soon as you become bitter, that relationship is a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. But we cannot deny that there's conflict in our life. So what do we do instead? Some of us just simply run away. You take the Jonah approach. We're not just going to deny there's conflict. We're going to literally flee from conflict. What does that look like? That means anytime you don't like your job, you quit and get a new job. Anytime you don't like your relationship or your spouse you divorce and get a new spouse. Anytime you don't like your church, you leave and go across town to a new church. You don't like your neighbors, you leave your neighborhood and move to another neighborhood. The problem with this strategy is that you can never run away from conflict to a place where there is not more conflict waiting for you. Every new relationship has a different person and that different person has different issues and those different issues will lead to different problems. Every new job has a different boss that will lead to different problems that will lead to different conflict. Every new church will have different pastors, different ways of doing it that leads to different problems. You cannot run away from conflict. You can only run to a new environment with different conflict. So running away from conflict is not going to solve the conflict issue in your life. It's just going to complicate it and make it different. So we can't deny that conflict's there, and we can't run away from conflict. When we we do both of these strategies, again, I'm trying to tell you, you are setting yourself up to have meaningless relationships in your life that have no value and no root in anything strong enough to survive a small breeze of conflict in your life. But there is a better way. Obviously, I hope so. We're not just going to talk about the negative today. The way that Jesus and, and God has commanded us to do and deal with conflict is option three, which is speaking the truth in love. God has called us to speak the truth gently and in love to those who have hurt us. This comes from Ephesians 4:15, where Paul says, Instead, by speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Jesus Christ in our faith. When we choose to speak, and receive truth in a loving, gentle manner, you are setting yourself up to grow tremendously in your relationship with Jesus. In fact, I would dare say that maybe the reason your faith hasn't grown is because you have not allowed yourself to be stretched by the conflict in your life. To actually pursue doing the hard work of what it means to restore and heal a broken relationship instead of doing the easy, comfortable thing, which is running away or denying it. That ultimately there is some benefit of having conflict because it gives us the opportunity to speak the truth in love. And the more we speak up and speak it in love, the more we grow not only ourselves, but we grow roots down deep in our relationships with these people. Because guess what? When you have the guts to look at someone in the face and say, I love you enough to have this hard conversation. You are speaking truth into them saying, I love you. It is cheap love that avoids. It is cheap love that destroys. Cheap love says, you don't matter enough for me to do something hard and awkward to make this relationship better. You don't mean enough to me that I'm willing to do something I don't want to do so that we can get past this. I'm just going to cave in and run away. I'm just gonna cave in and deny it and become passive aggressive and bitter towards you. That is a cheap love that treats people that way. It is a true grace-filled, centered on Jesus Christ love that looks at people eye to eye at a coffee table and says, brother, I love you. I care for you. And I care so much about you that I'm willing to do this even though it's awkward and hard for me to do that. What you did last week really hurt me. I need you to know that. I don't know what was going on, but I need to address this with you because you hurt me when you did this. And I care enough about this relationship not to allow this to become a dividing line in our relationship that sends us two separate ways. But I want to address it with you now lovingly, gently, because you matter that much to me. And if you're a parent in the room, this, this is your parenting life. If you have kids and your kid, you wake up one morning is running in the middle of the road with a knife in his hand. You don't say, well, Timmy's going to have to learn the hard way. Sounds like Timmy's problem. I'm going to do me. Timmy's obviously chose his own path. He's going to have to reap the consequences of his bad behavior later down the line. I'll let him handle that in his own time. Or when Timmy stands up and pops his brother in the face because he stole his toy, we don't say, well, one day he'll learn a lesson when he hits someone bigger than him and they hit him back. We don't allow our kids to do these things. Why? Because our love for our children goes beyond cheap love. It goes to a love that says, I love this child with my whole being so much so that I would tell Timmy, hey, get out of the road. Put the knife down. Don't hit your brother. I, I love you, buddy. There's a better way to handle that with your brother. Hey, I love you. You know there's cars that come down this road every day. I don't want you to get hit. Please play in the yard. Don't play in the front yard in the road. You're willing to call them out for the decisions they're making that's going to harm them and harm you ultimately because you care about them. You have a deep love rooted in something beyond just the facade of a friendship. You care deeply. And I think sometimes if we're honest, we let friendships go too quickly because maybe we don't care as deeply about that person as we think we do. True love pushes forward. True, True love stands in the face of conflict and says, we are going to deal with this. So how do we do that? Great question. I only have four steps to how we address people in a loving, gentle way, speaking the truth and love to them. This is how we do it. Step one, present the sin or the hurt that they caused you in a gentle manner. Matthew 18 says it very clearly. They say, if your brother or sister has hurt you, go and correct them when you are alone together. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. One of the biggest leadership lessons and they teach me, and I'm just gonna share it with you for your life is to learn not to count opinions, but learn to weigh opinions. One of the reasons they tell you to do this is because if I take a poll right here in the room and say everyone who wants to go home right now, raise your hand. We would probably have 75 to 80% of people raise their hand. And if we only count the opinions in the room, guess what? Even though it's not the best thing for you right now, we're gonna let you go home. But when we weigh opinions, We look at someone who was drugged here by their wife and doesn't want to be here who is sleeping. And we say, why should his opinion count as much as someone who's hurting in the front row, not calling you out Greg, that is hurting in the front row and seeking to grow today. We weigh opinions differently. And so in your life, you have to weigh the opinions of what people tell you differently. I will not weigh a stranger's opinion of me as heavily as I would weigh my wife's opinion of me. Why? Because my wife knows me better than a stranger does. My wife has a deep love for me that goes beyond what a stranger has for me. So I listen to my wife's opinion of me more than I would listen to a stranger's opinion of me, not because maybe the stranger's wrong, but because I know ultimately my wife has a deeper love for me and a deeper relationship with me. I say this all to say because in context of step one, addressing the issue they did to you in a private, loving, gentle manner has to be rooted in a relationship with this person. If you don't have a relationship with this person, you're going to go coffee with them next week. And they're like, bro, you don't even know my wife's name. You don't even know my last name. We work together. And you're telling me I have an issue. Why should I listen to you? You don't even know me. But when you know people, you have deep relationships with people, the more God gives you an opportunity to speak truth and love to them because they know you don't have ulterior motives. They know you have a deep care and love for them that goes beyond what you can get out of this conversation. So if you try to just go up with Sally, who always gets on your nerves at work and call her out privately, it's probably not gonna go well unless you have a real relationship with that person. Step one is all predicated on, do you truly love and have a good relationship with the person enough so that you could have this conversation with them? And what if, Preston, I do this and we meet privately. I don't call them out in front of the office, in front of their family at Thanksgiving table on Thursday. I privately meet with them, talk to them about our issues, and they tell me, I don't, I don't really care what you have to say. Doesn't matter. Good, because there's step two. Step two is determine if others share your perspective or concern on that person or their issue. One of the biggest benefits I have in being married and having a spouse is that there are have been occasions, I could probably count about three or five on my hand, that I've been offended, wounded, and hurt by what someone said to me, what someone did to me. And when I ran it by Carla, she said, baby, I, I love you, but I think you're taking that a little bit too personal. They didn't mean it that way. I was at the table when they said that to you. I could see what they were trying to get across. That what, The way you're taking it is not the way they meant it. I, I love you, but I, I think maybe you're seeing this the way that's not actually reality. And she's had to bring me back to reality sometimes and say, I, I think you need to expand your perspective here, because you may be the only one who has a true issue with how that happened. And sometimes in our life, that is true. We have to step back and say, am I the only one here at the office, at the table at Thanksgiving, at the church, who has an issue with this, or who has been hurt by this person's actions or words. And sometimes what you'll find in rare occasions is you might be the only one. But I've found most of the time you're not, especially if it's that concerning that you would address it with them privately. So if you're not the only one who's seen what this person has done to hurt you or they've heard others doing the same thing, then that goes to step three, because you need to bring others in to lovingly share their experiences with this person. So if, if this person will not listen to you trying to lovingly, gently speak the truth and love to them privately, then the, the next step really is to try to find one or two people who share that same experience with this person as you do. Now, let me tell you what this is not. This step is not team building and dogpiling on someone because you all don't like the same person. This isn't walking into work on Monday and saying, who else in this office hates Larry like I do? Oh, I hate Larry. Larry's the worst. Yeah, I tried to talk to him last week and he didn't even listen to me. I think we should just go chew him out at lunch together as a group. This is not what this step is. This step is finding one or two people who have a relationship with the same person, care about the person as much as you do, and have been hurt by the person in similar ways that you've been hurt by them. That's why the next verse in Matthew 18 says, but if they won't listen, take one or two others with you so that every word may be established by the mouth of one or two people. Bring one or two other people who have the same experience and have the same love for the person as you do and sit down with, let's just use Larry for example, Say, Larry, the way you talk to us at the office, man, it is just, it, it's offensive. It hurts. It, it makes us feel like we're walking on eggshells when you're in the office. And when you did this last week, and you said this, and then the next day you did this and said it this way, it's just, it's making it hard for us to, to be around you. And we want to tell you that we love you and care about you, and we want to address this with you today so that we can hopefully get beyond this. What if they get defensive? 99% of the time, they will get defensive, <laughs> You would, too, if five people joined your lunch table and called you out on some mess. But the reality is one of the the key things I hope that you would take from this, because ultimately I'm going to assume the best in you guys today, and hope and pray that you're not just listening, writing down things on your notepad, and just kind of walking out the door today, that, that if you truly have conflict with someone today, you're actually willing to put these things into practice in your life starting next week. If that's true, I'm assuming the best. And Lord forbid you get to this step where you and two other people are addressing this person on their issues that you would remember this. One of the keys in this step is to not get into a back and forth on every situation because here's what will happen. You'll say, Larry, we've seen this, 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 and this. Okay, but on this one, My wife and me had a fight that morning. That's why I had a bad attitude. And on this one, you didn't see what happened. I I, I had this going on and I was stressed out. You didn't see that. Because every situation you bring to them, I guarantee you most people will have an excuse on why they acted or spoke the way they did. Do not get into a back and forth saying, Larry, we're not here to discuss it. We're, We're here to put before you how we've been hurt by you. And we love you enough to have this conversation in hopes that you will see that your actions have not only hurt one person, They've hurt a lot of us. And we're not here to get into back and forth. We're here to try to move beyond it by putting this in front of you because we care about you. Keep the hurt at the forefront. What if this doesn't work? The last step is just bless them, move on and pray that in time, God will show him or her what they've done, how they've hurt people. And in time, they will turn back and seek forgiveness. At some point, you have to leave this in God's hands. And that's why step four is create peace in your life despite their unwillingness to ask for forgiveness. So many of us allow our peace to be destroyed based on what people do or don't do. But the peace that we have in Jesus Christ goes beyond people's actions intents, words or what they did. The peace that we have in Christ is rooted in a hope and a faith and a future that cannot be shaken based on what people do or don't do in us. So I'm trying to tell you at the end of this, if none of it works, you still have the last option, which is choose to live in peace despite them being unwilling to apologize for how they've hurt you and move on and pray for them. How do I create peace in my life? Just one quick slide. Accept people where they are. Some people are at a different part of their journey than you, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and you cannot move them further down the field than they are willing to go. You have to accept people for where they are. You have to accept situations for what they are. You cannot change every situation. You can try your best, but at some level, you have to accept you have done everything in your power to change the situation, but it's not moving. So accept it for what it is, and then accept every action doesn't need a reaction. Not everything that's done to you deserves a response. Not everything that happens deserves a reaction. Sometimes the best thing we can do is accept people for where they are, accept situations for what they are, and accept that every action doesn't deserve a response or reaction from me. And that's how we begin to create and cultivate peace in our lives and our relationships, despite people being unwilling to apologize for how they've hurt us. This would be a great way to, obviously, end my message today. And I know it's 12.01, and you're probably thinking, I am ending my message. But I have five more minutes of something I want to share If you know how I preach and you know how I teach, you know that ultimately I can't just end it this way because it becomes too easy. Because this whole message to this point has been about how people have hurt us and about how we need to get people to apologize for how they've hurt us. But I know you and I know me well enough to know that sometimes the situation isn't other people have hurt us, it's that we've hurt other people. And we need to come face to face with how we need to seek forgiveness when we've been the one who's hurt people. Because Unfortunately, not every story you're a victim in. Sometimes we're the people who cause pain, intentional or not. And God has called us not only to pursue forgiveness, asking people to, to be restored in our relationship when they hurt us, but God has also called us to seek forgiveness when we've been the one who has hurt other people. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 18, as much as depends on you to the best of your ability, live at peace with everybody. As much as you can control, live at peace with everybody. And guess what? Sometimes the best thing you can do is try those four steps to try to get someone to apologize. But sometimes the best thing you can do to live at peace with all people is own your mess and apologize for how you've hurt people. Now, I'm not speaking to the 1% of relationships that are abusive that have assault in them. If that's you, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the 99% of our daily relationships with friends, family, co-workers that cause us strife. If you've had those kind of relationships in the past, this next section does not apply to you. You have nothing to apologize for. Those are rare occasions, but I wanna make that clear before we move on. There are five quick steps. Again, we're not gonna take time on them, so if you need the app later to get the notes, you can get them. If you are the one who has hurt someone and you need to seek to ask for forgiveness, step one is look within yourself to see how you've hurt that person and hurt and sinned against God. As Christians, we are commanded to pursue healing of every broken relationship in our life, even if we're the ones who broke the relationship. And we are responsible for initiating the restoration and healing process. I want to make that clear. No matter which side of the coin you're on today, whether you've been hurt or you've caused hurt, God is calling you to take the first step and not wait on someone to take the first step. So that's why he says in Matthew 7, why do you look at the splinter in your own eye or look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you have a log in your face? Take the log out of your face and then you can address the splinter in your brother's and sister's eye. You have to get to the point where you are willing to look yourself in the mirror and see the things you've done that have hurt God's heart and hurt other people that's where we start in the forgiveness process. And we appreciate forgiveness a lot more when we stop to remember what we've been forgiven of. We are so much more good at asking for forgiveness from people when we realize we've already been forgiven from a God in heaven. What's more intimidating, asking your neighbor for forgiveness or asking an all-powerful, almighty, all-holy God for forgiveness? you've already been forgiven by the latter, how much easier then is it to ask for forgiveness from the people in our lives that care about us? But we don't always walk in gratitude for what God has done for us, and that's led to a lot of problems. But here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me very much so, is that we have a PhD in other people's sins and a GED in our own mess. We are hyper-focused, hyper-critical, all the way zoomed in on what people do wrong. And when it comes time to look at our own issues in the mirror, the image is a little blurry. When we look at our neighbor, when we look at our relationships, when we look at our spouse, when we look at our workers or our coworkers, we see everything so clearly. I can give you 10 pages of everything they do wrong. But when it's time to flip the page and start writing down your own mistakes, you have trouble writing one thing down. We are a people who are fixated on pointing out what other people do wrong while never taking ownership for the things that we've done wrong. And in order to grow, in order to seek forgiveness, you need to flip the script and become an expert in your own mess and less critical of other people's. And step two is to seek to meet with this person and ask for forgiveness. There are many of us who don't take this step because we had the mindset of this. I know what I said probably hurt them, but if it hurt them as much as I think it did, they'll come to me and ask me to apologize. I know what I did probably wasn't right, but if it really wasn't, if it was really that bad, they will come and talk to me about it. And if they talk to me about it, if they ask me to apologize, then I will do so. And I love you enough to say, if that's how you handle conflict in your life, that is an incredibly prideful way to live your life. To think that it's always the ownership of the other person. God has called you to take the first step, regardless if you've been hurt or you are the one hurting people. It is your job, your responsibility to not wait on someone to bring it to your attention. But if you know what you did hurt someone, you take the first step and you go apologize. And avoid words like if, but, maybe, when you apologize. If you wouldn't have talked to me that way, then I wouldn't have done blank. I know what I did. I need to apologize for but when you did this maybe if you learned how to speak to me properly I wouldn't do this these are not apologies they're accusations you're taking the ownership off of you and putting it back on the person you've hurt avoid those words when you're asking for forgiveness because one of the things I've learned is we want to judge people based on their actions but we want people to judge us based on our intentions we want to be able to look at people and say what you did was wrong But when people say, what you did was wrong, we wanna say, well, you don't know what I really meant. All of a sudden, when we're called out for our actions, we wanna flip the script and say, it's not what I did, it's what I meant. But when we judge other people, it's not what they meant, it's what they did. We love to judge people based on what they do, but call the, you don't know my heart card when it's time to be called out for our mess. We have to look at people deeper than just simply what they do. Number three, four and five, go quick. Number three, admit specifics when you're apologizing and asking for forgiveness don't just say i know i hurt you yeah i i I probably said some stuff will you forgive me well what stuff did you say be specific i I treated you harshly when i raised my voice at you at dinner last night i am sorry will you forgive me "I, I, i was going around saying things behind your back that i knew weren't true some of them were but that's not the point The point is, I was saying things behind your back I knew weren't true in the moment, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Admit the specifics to what you need forgiveness for. Number four, not only admit what you've done, admit how what you've done has hurt them. Not only say, what I did to you was just wrong, but you know what, what I did was wrong, and I'm sorry for it, but I'm also sorry that it really hurt you. I'm sorry it probably made you trust me less. I'm sorry it probably damaged our relationship. I'm sorry it probably made your insecurities flare up. I'm not only sorry for what I did, I'm sorry for how it affected you at your core. Because when we acknowledge that, it goes beyond just what we did to the core of how we've scarred someone's emotional, mental psyche and how they see us and see our relationships. And then last but not least is we need to accept the consequences When you apologize and ask for forgiveness, even if they say they forgive you, that does not mean you get to go back to how the relationship was before. Asking for forgiveness is step one in the healing journey. It is not the entire healing journey. And we love to think because we apologize and they said we forgive you, we can go back to being best buddies again like nothing happened. But that's not how relationships work. That's not how life works. That's the first necessary step in the healing journey. But it takes time. It takes rebuilding trust. It takes rebuilding the relationship over time to get back to where it was before you hurt them. So accept the consequences. Maybe they will look at you and say, you know what? I don't forgive you. What are you to do? You pray for them, you bless them, and you move on. And you pray that in time, God will stir their heart and get them to a point where they can come back to you and say, I forgive you. And we do all of this, whether it's pursuing healing because we were hurt or pursuing healing because we were the one who hurt someone. We do all of this not out of religious duty or because some dumb blonde 29-year-old on stage told me I had to. But because ultimately what Romans 5.8 tells us is that God loved us and wanted to heal his relationship with us even when we didn't want anything to do with him even when we looked at god and said i want nothing to do with you i'm turning away from you and i'm running away from you god looked at you in that moment and chased after you god wanted to heal that relationship with you even when you didn't care to have a relationship with god and because god has done that for you how can we not in turn say how can i not do this for my brother for my sister God has forgiven me so much and he chased after me even when I wanted nothing to do with him. How could I not chase after someone to heal our relationship even though it's only been six months? You are responsible to take the first step in the healing journey and God has given you a call and a ministry to not allow things to remain broken in your life. Some of you have conflict that happened last week and it may be a little bit easier for you. Some of us are called to mend relationships that broke 15 years ago. And this is going to be a harder journey. But whether it happened yesterday or 15 years ago, any tense, broken, fractured relationship in your life, God is looking at you and saying, I have loved you and forgiven you. Go and fix this and pursue healing with them to the best of your ability so you can live at peace with everybody. Here's what I want to close with. I'm going to read two statements. And after I read one statement, if it applies to you, I want you to just simply raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm gonna read the second statement. If it applies to you, you raise your hand and I'll pray for you. I wanna end the service today by blessing you and praying for you and your relationships. Thanksgiving is next week. I'm not naive enough to think that all of you have great in-laws, that all of you have great relationships with your parents and Thanksgiving is gonna be a joyful holiday for you. Maybe for some of you, it'll be very tense at the table. So I wanna be able to pray for you. But in order for us not to feel awkward and actually have courage to raise our hand, we need to bow our heads and close our eyes apparently. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if... After I read this first statement, this is you, and you identify with this, just raise your hand and I wanna pray a blessing over you today. Maybe you're saying, Preston, I've been holding on to some bitterness towards people in my life that have deeply hurt me, whether it's been recent or years ago, and for the past decade maybe, I've been avoiding them, I've been running away from the conflict that exists between the two of us, and I haven't done anything to try to fix this broken relationship. But I know now that I need to pursue the first step in healing this fracture in my life. And I need to do as much as depends on me to do as much as I can to heal this relationship. But I really don't have the courage or the strength right now. And I really want to, but I'm scared. And I need some strength and some courage to take that first step. If that's you, just raise your hand. I wanna pray for you. Father, bless these men, these women who raise their hands. They are hurting. They have fractures in their life between people. And God, they want to take that first step and, and telling them how they've hurt them, pursuing fixing that relationship. But God, it is a scary thing to do. It is not an easy thing to do what you've called us to do. But God, ultimately, we know you bless the attempt. You bless us trying. And I'm praying that as we leave, as we go, and we meet these people, that these people who just raised their hand would take that first step and trying to talk to them about how they've hurt them. And I'm praying if they do that, that you would bless that conversation, you would allow that person to have ears to hear, a heart that's open, to receive the feedback, the truth and love, and I pray that you would give these men and women who raise their hands the courage to do that, the strength to speak up and share their hurt, but also in times when they don't know what to say, that you'd give them the words to say. Because ultimately we wanna see these relationships restored, God for your glory and for our benefit. The next statement is maybe you're not on that side of the coin where you've been hurt. Maybe you're the one who has hurt someone and you're standing here today and you're saying, Preston, I've hurt some people. Whether it was yesterday or years ago and I've refused to humble myself and go to them and ask to be forgiven for what I did to them, whether it's out of pride or whether it's out of fear, I've yet to take that first step in seeking forgiveness for what I did. I know I need to go and apologize to them. I know I need to be forgiven. And I know I need to take that first step in initiating that healing process and owning my mess. But I'm scared. I'm fearful. I don't know necessarily what to say, how to do it, when I can meet with them, even if they'll answer my phone call to meet with them. But I need the courage. I need the strength. I I I need God to empower me to do the hard work that is not easy for me. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. Father, bless these men, these women who raise their hand, acknowledge that they have made some mistakes, that maybe they're the ones who have caused some hurt and some pain in their relationships. God, this is an important first step, acknowledging that we have a role to play in hurt and pain in our lives. And I'm praying because of their courage, you would give them strength and empower them by your spirit to take this first step in seeking to heal the relationships they've caused to break. Don't guilt trip them, don't allow them to be guilt tripped and shamed, God, but help them know that they're loved in spite of their mistakes, and help the person they're going to go and ask for forgiveness from, God, have a heart and a mind that's open and ready to hear from them, and ready to accept and extend forgiveness to them, God. But if they're not, I pray in time they will, and I pray that you give them courage and strength to take this necessary step so that they can find healing and find forgiveness from these people bless them. We pray this in your name. Amen.
1: Thank you so much, Preston, and uh, yeah, it's it's really it's a hard message to, to come to terms with in a lot of ways for myself. I know that I felt really uh, convicted by the apologies that we make and not putting the asterisks on them, you know, and I think it's uh, really great to hear about how to actually apologize in those situations and um, so, thank you, Preston, for that, and I'm just grateful for you guys being here. Um, a couple things, real quick, before you go. We have a few things you'll see in the lobby and uh, places that you can connect. So, first, if you're new here, thank you for being here. Go to fplive.org/connect. And uh, fill out a new here card, and then just uh, stop by the information center for a free gift. And uh, it's just so our way to say thank you for coming and being here. And um, then, two things you'll see in the lobby uh, first is our friends giving table for our students that's six to 12th graders. Um, they're having a meal tonight. You may have uh, donated to bring some casserole or turkey or something. Um, they're they're going to have a great time for our student ministry. So, uh, six to 12th graders come tonight at five to seven. Um, and then also, uh, you probably saw it walking in. You saw the tables. Is our Angel Project? This is an annual project we do every year. We partner with local school counselors to find students who are in need, who uh, may not have any Christmas gifts that year, this year. Um, and uh, we we just want to bless them and serve them and and uh, be the church that uh, God we think God calls us to be. So um, we do this every year. What we do is we get these cards and we have the. Um, school that they go to, uh, their gender, their age, their sizes, and uh, any um, gift suggestions that they have requested, things that they might like. Um, So for this one, uh, I picked out my two angels um, on the 15 before. For this one, uh, it's a girl, and she's age 15. She loves boots, sweaters, art supplies, makeup, and hair stuff. So um, that's one. And then the other one, for the boy, you can guess this one. The boy said, Nerf stuff. Nerf stuff. So I'm going to get lots of Nerf guns and, and Nerf footballs and stuff like that for them. Um, so yeah, just uh, on your way out, grab an angel, grab a couple angels. It, it, it really makes a huge difference in, in the lives of students in our area. Um, and uh, two last things about that. All gifts wrapped by Sunday, December 10th. Just bring them back wrapped and um, then we can distribute them to the schools who will distribute them to the kids. Um, and then also take a picture of the card so that you don't forget it, you know, that way you, you have it uh, if you lose the card. It was my rookie mistake the first year, so make sure you take a picture of it and uh, also check it out with the people at the tables. That's it. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. Hope you have a good week. See ya.